Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. We're going to look at our verse for the year this morning, and it's this, it's Romans 12.2. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's our verse for this year. It's, it's um, one that's been... We don't just randomly think up a verse, but throughout the year, spend time praying and thinking, God, what would be something prophetic for us for this year ahead? And last year's was about loving one another, and that carries on. It's really important that we love one another, that we care for one another, we support one another. But this is around being set aside to God, living with a sense of holiness and surrender and dedication to him. And when I saw this painting that's on your verse for the year cards that are coming round, Abby painted this, she put it on a, a Facebook thing that she does, an art one, and I just thought this would be perfect for our verse for the year. So I immediately contacted her and said, can, can we use this for our verse for the year? Because actually a mind that's being renewed is a mind that's being impacted by the mind of Christ. And you can see on the card, there's a crown of thorns and there's a crown of glory. And there's something about our thinking being impacted by the rule of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ that is so important in our journey of disciples who make disciples. So thank you to Abby for the artwork. Thank you for Paul, for all the typesetting and putting the words together. This verse doesn't stand alone in the book of Romans. Romans is one of the only books in the Bible that Paul writes to where he didn't plant the church. There's only two. There's Romans, and later he would go to Rome, and there's eight chapters at the end of the book of Acts that set out that journey. And there's Colossians. Colossians was planted by one of Paul's team. Paul in person didn't plant the church, but one of his team went to Colossae and planted the church there. But Romans, he writes not addressing any pastoral issues. If you read through the other letters of the New Testament, Paul often says, now, here are some of the issues that's going on in your church. Let me give you some advice. This is how you're to deal with that. This is how you're to deal with that. This is that problem. Here's what you need to do. He doesn't do that in Romans. In Romans, he sets out the gospel that he's preached around the world. He sends to the church at the center of the empire, the Roman Empire, the message of the gospel that he could preach. He could spend two years, three years, like he did in Ephesus, 18 months in Corinth, expounding this gospel. Or he could spend three weeks in Thessalonica and condense it down. But this is the essence of what he says. He says, God is holy and God is loving. Human beings have fallen and broken. God steps in to our situation to rescue and save us. God places his spirit within us. And when he does, we don't get to live like we used to. We are changed. And therefore, there are implications for how we get to live. And our verse at the beginning of Romans 12 starts with Romans 12.1, actually, just before our verse. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in in view of God's mercy... In view of all that we've just seen in the book of Romans, offer your bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Eldon Corsi, who 
Many of us knew, some of us knew, uh, the joy of working with Eldon for a number of years, the privilege. Eldon used to always say, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, ask yourself, what's it there for? Why is this therefore there? And it's therefore, in light of all that God has just said to us through the rest of the book of Romans, in view of the fact that Jesus laid down his life as a sacrifice for us, we now get to embrace the crown of thorns and lay down our lives as living sacrifices, which is our true and proper worship to him. We get to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to him. What we do with our body matters. There are those who would say, and it's not Christianity this, but it seems to have seeped into Christianity. It's a kind of Gnosticism. There are those who say the body's evil and everything about the body's bad. And therefore, there's a legalism that can come in that says, so you've got to control it with lots of rules and regulations that are not in the Bible to subjugate the body. That problem sprung up in the early church, particularly in Galatia, and Paul writes the letter to the Galatians to address that error. It's the problem of the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. I'll be right with God because I'm going to be a rule-keeping, self-righteous person. Problem is, we can't keep all the rules. So people flip to the other end and they say, well, what you do with the body doesn't matter. It's not what you do with the body that matters. You can sleep around, they say. You can uh, get drunk, they say. You can overeat, they say. You can indulge in any kind of sin that you want to in the body because it's only the body. The body will waste away. What matters is the inner spiritual experience. Nonsense. Utter nonsense it's crept into western christianity it's gnosticism it's an error what you do with your body matters but the corinthians fell for this error and they said well just live as you please get drunk sleep around do what you want because god knows your heart he loves you you're a work in progress (laughs) paul says wrong Wrong. License isn't the answer, just like legalism isn't the answer. It's the problem of the younger brother in the story of the prodigal son. So what is the answer? The answer is freedom. Liberty. You see, there was a time we were not free to follow God. And when we became followers of Jesus, we were born again... And if you have been genuinely born again, you have been set free to obey Jesus. To lay down your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. And that will be your desire. There are so many interesting words in Romans 12.1. One of them is the word latria. I think that's how you pronounce it, L-A-T-R-E-I-A. Its original meaning was to work for money. That's what it meant originally. But then it changed in its meaning over a period of time and came to, be, came to represent service, work and worship. Three words. 
That's why some versions have this is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. It's the same word. It can be translated in nuanced ways. All that we do is an act of worship and serving to God. So when you're with your family or when you're doing a hobby, your relationship with food, alcohol and sex, how you are at work, how you are in your place of education, God says that he's Lord of all of that. So how we grieve, how we celebrate, how we play, how we eat, how we drink, how we speak, how we silence, the whole of life is worship. Please don't be fooled into thinking that when the band leave the stage, the worship is over. Or when the first note strikes, the worship begins. This is our praise to God, and it's really, really, really important. Shall I tell you what makes it dynamic? See, I think Jesus is inviting us to a closer relationship with him this year. I think he's inviting us, and the Bible talks more about new days than new years, to be honest with you. So today, I think Jesus is inviting us into something fresh with him, a closer encounter. What makes it dynamic is not that we pick the right songs. It's not that the musicians are skillful and thank God that they are. But that doesn't do it. What makes it dynamic is when we're living our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, in our daily life, at work, in family, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our hobbies, with our money, with our relationships to alcohol, sex, money, power. When all of that is laid down as an offering of worship to God, and then the people of God gather and begin to express their praise to God, the possibilities are endless. We are meeting with the person who spoke a word and created everything. We can meet him this morning, encounter him this morning. The whole of life is a platform of worship. And when we come together, praise it can erupt. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes you don't feel like doing it. Other times it's an overflow of praise. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that when we are the church, then this body, the church, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And how we behave in the temple is important. It's not a physical temple anymore. There's no temple in Jerusalem. You're the temple. We're the temple. J.B. Phillips, in his translation of the Bible, and I love the fact J.B. Phillips translated the Bible, this is an aside, but bear with me, translated the Bible into modern English purely as an intellectual exercise as a non-Christian. And he said it was like dabbling around in an old derelict house, putting your screwdriver in the the light socket only to find that the power's still on. He became a Christian in the process of translating the Bible. (laughs) 
He said, don't let the world around you, this is how he translates our verse for the year, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Let God remold your mind from within. Or as other versions, NIV says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean when it says don't be conformed to the pattern of this world? Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. The the word world is used in the Bible in two ways. And it's important that we understand which way it's it's used in this this version. So we, we have 1 John 2.15. It says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then we have John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hang on a minute. John, the same writer, says, don't love the world. Got it. For God so loved the world. Wait a minute. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to love the world? Or do you want me to not love the world? Because you're saying both. What would you like me to do? And the key is to understand what he means by world in each context. 1 John 2.15, the world that God is speaking about is not in the same terms as John 3.16. The world that God loves and tells us to love are the people of this world and the creation. God loves the people of this world and God has a plan for creation. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. God doesn't just dismiss heaven and earth. Like we're new creations, there will be a new creation. And he loves people. So what's the world that he tells us not to love? Well, in the book of Revelation, the shorthand term for that word world is Babylon. The book of Revelation is about two women and God. The two women are these, the bride of Christ and the prostitute Babylon. They're the two women in the book of Revelation. And they symbolize two big systems that go on in the world. The bride of Christ and the prostitute Babylon. And God says, don't be drawn into living like the prostitute Babylon when you're called to be the pure bride of Christ. You can't be a bit of a bride and a bit of a prostitute. Shocking. That's the kind of language the Bible uses. Choose. It's the the systems of this world that operate as if there's not a God. That's what it means. The systems of this world that operate as if people were God and God doesn't exist. Don't be drawn into that. The usual things when we remove God from the system that take his place are power, comfort, money, sex. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is of this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. These themes reoccur in the Bible. The desires are lust of the flesh, the desires are lust of the eyes. The pride of life. You see it way back in the book of Genesis. 
That's how the original sin entered humanity. We have Genesis 3.6. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Good for food, desires of the eye. Sorry, desires, lust of the flesh. Seemed good without God. It was a delight to the eyes, the verse goes on to to say. Delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And the tree was desired to make one wise, the pride of life. God wanted to make them wise, what the, the offer of the enemy was to be wise without God rather than to be wise with God. So temptation to live the world's way generally starts on the outside and works its way in. We see something, we desire something, and it makes us proud. And it meets with the flesh. <clears throat> Again, <clears throat> the word flesh in the Bible. Let me just lay some simple ground rules if you're going to read the book of Romans. When the word of of God in Romans uses the word flesh, it doesn't mean this. It means, it's a, it's a Greek word, sarx, S-A-R-X. And it means the corrupted human nature. It doesn't mean your physical flesh. It means the corrupted human nature, the nature of, of the humanity without God. And so when temptation comes from the outside in, it meets that bias that's now in every one of us to lean that way and we fall into temptation. But God says he's put something new within us. The book of Ephesians puts it like this. As for you, this is all of us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the earth, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. So when we think in the same value system and priorities of the world around us that doesn't acknowledge God, we're living as if we're dead when we're really alive. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. This is foundational stuff. Human beings are made up of three components. So in the Godhead, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In humanity, who's made in the image of God, there's spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is that inner part of you, the deepest part of you, where your connection with God begins. And the book of Ephesians says that that, if you don't know God, is dead. In the book of Genesis 2.12, God says to Adam and Eve, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, when you eat it, when you eat it, when? When you eat it, you will certainly die. So they ate it, and they lived. When you eat it, you will certainly die. They died years later, they weren't going to, but they died years later. But when they ate it, something died. The spirit within them died. And the spirit within every human being is born, when we're born, is dead. It needs resurrection. And only someone who's been resurrected can give resurrection. Fortunately, we know someone. And he comes and breathes life into the spirit when his life hits your spirit and you are born again, 
Your spirit that was dead, you who were dead in transgressions and sins as he made alive, that's what came alive. Then from the spirit of God engaging with your spirit, your soul is impacted. What's your soul? Your will, your ability to choose, your intellect, your ability to think, your emotions, your ability to feel. It's impacted by the life that's hit your spirit. And those choices then that are impacted by our will, intellect and emotions impact our body, what we do. Therefore, offer your body as a living sacrifice. The body doesn't just disappear. At the resurrection in the end time, the body will be resurrected. We're not disembodied spirits forever. Our spirit leaves, our body at death. But at the resurrection, read Thessalonians. How does God do it? I don't know. I don't know. He's God. Anyway. The Holy Spirit breathes life into the spirit of the child of God and transforms the soul, the mind. We're no longer squeezed into the mold of this world and we live differently. So be transformed our verse goes on to say, let God remould you from within. A renewed mind, uh, earlier in the book of Romans, he puts it like this. I remember how we described flesh. I'd encourage you to read Romans 8, 5 to 9. It says this, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who are in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can't please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, because he's the one who gave life to your spirit. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to him. If you're a follower of Jesus, his life is now in you. And your spirit has been made alive. So where's your mind? Is your mind set on the spirit or on the world? Are you squeezed into the morals, the priorities, the lifestyle, the value system, the measures of success, the approval of this world? Or are you being transformed in your thinking by the power of the gospel To live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, faithfulness. Are you not ashamed of the gospel, but with your words and deeds display it wherever you are? Colossians 2.3, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Our mind is renewed. Just loads of scriptures. I encourage you to read Colossians 3.5-10. New life, a changed mind, a transformed way of living from the inside out. Not legalism. Not license, but liberty. Because we are loved by God the Father, we are given a new identity. We are born again. Our spirit is made alive. And now we get to obey God. And over the coming weeks, we're going to explore this in the character of the life of Moses. We're going to spend a whole chunk of time looking at the story of Moses. I'm not going to go into it in great detail this morning. I'm just going to set it up. Next week we're going to continue with it. We're going to follow his story through and see how someone can be transformed by the work of the Spirit of God inside them. 
Moses' life mirrors something of the journey that we've been talking about this morning. God used him to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land or to the border of it. And Joshua led them in. In the story of Moses, we see that both in Moses and the Hebrew people, it was much quicker process to get them out of slavery than to get slavery out of them. It was a much quicker process to move out of Egypt and being under bondage to slavery to having a mindset that says, I don't need to live that way anymore. But so often our head gets stuck in, this is how I now live, like I used to. We live trapped when we've been set free. Dallas Willard says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So the Hebrew people went on a journey. And the hero of that journey is not Moses. Do you know the hero of every Bible story is God? Who's the hero in the Moses story? Well, it's God. Who parts the Red Sea? God. Who speaks through the burning bush? God. Who sends the plagues? God. Who provides the manna? God. Did Moses do it? No, he just joined in with what God was doing. In the Noah story, who's the hero? God. Whose idea was the ark? God. Who sent the animals? God. Who sent the rain? God. Who dried it up? God. Daniel and the lion's den, who's the hero? God. Well, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. He was. Who closed the mouth of the lions? It wasn't Daniel. And the hero in our lives is God. We're not the central character. We live, the, we live our life stories if we're the, we're the hero, we're the central We're not. He is. Acts 7.20 speaks of Moses. It says, at that time Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. I love, I love that verse. Because I've met so many parents. When they've just, I've, I've had the privilege of, I mean sometimes I've actually been at the hospital and, and met the parents on the way out of the, the delivery ward. I had the privilege of that on one or two occasions. Many times I've met parents with a brand new baby. And, and I've, I love to say to them, how would you, how would you describe your baby? And they say, oh, just like his dad. Or he's got his granddad's nose. He's amazing. She's wonderful. She's glorious. I've never yet heard one parent say to me, well, the best word I could use to describe this bundle of joy and life that's in my arms now is, I've got an ordinary one. I mean, this is just like a bog-standard kid. Your average run-of-the-mill, ordinary kid I've got. The Bible says Moses was no ordinary child. Duh, of course, because there are no ordinary child. Everybody's extraordinary. Everybody's amazing. Moses is just one of the many amazing kids. There was one dad who had heard me say that before. And when I saw him full of joy holding his little boy, I said to him, so how would you describe him? He said, he's ordinary. (laughs) (laughs) Ruined my story forever. (laughs) Every human being 
has the potential to be extraordinary. As God breathes his life in and gives life to their spirit. Here's the problem. One of, one of my favorite al- albums is, is um, Master Plan by Oasis. Just incredible album of B-sides. And on that there's a song called Fade Away. And Noel Gallagher writes these words. He says, when we're living, the dreams we had as children fade away. We're born extraordinary and we settle for ordinary lives. We're born unique and amazing and we settle for, well, that'll do. God's inviting you on an adventure. He's inviting you to see some incredible breakthroughs in your life. He's inviting you not to settle for the ordinary. But the world will squeeze you into its mould and tell you, well, just do this, just have that, just live for that. And I'm inviting you, break the mould. Live a radically pure life. Live a radically devoted to God life. Live a life that loves God's word and is filled with God's spirit. Be a worshipper. Be an extravagant worshipper. Moses and the people of God, the Hebrew people, had to go on a journey of learning the truth of what God said about them to step into it. John 8.32, one of my favourite verses, Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. This morning we've been looking at the truth, how we now get to live because God is done in our lives, because what he's done. The truth of the Bible sets us free as we apply it by the power of the Spirit in the community with, of God's people. Can I say to you, can I beg you, please, 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 please read the Bible. Please read the Bible. Reading the Bible will not make God love you more at all. It will earn you no spiritual brownie points. It does not go in your tick box of you've earned a bit more favour with God. It does none of that. What it does is it it defends you against being squeezed into the mould of this world. It tells you what the truth is and it gives you the possibility of living differently. Knowing that you're loved by God. Knowing that you're in the community of God's people. Knowing that you have the spirit of God with you. It is not... A tick box of good works to earn God's favour. It's a reminder of who you have become and who you are becoming. It helps us to believe our beliefs and doubts our doubts. I'm going to close by reading just one last verse to you. He, that's Jesus, has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Just an illustration and one last verse. Back to our verse for the year. It's the transfer season. We need a striker. We need a miracle. (laughs) We saw Everton, when I say we, Everton. We sold Richarlison to Spurs in the summer. Bad move. When he comes to Goodison, 
and Spurs play at Goodison. Frank Lampard, I'm hoping he'll still be there, will be stood at the, si- at the sidelines. And Frank can shout all kinds of instructions to Richarlison. Run into space. Cross it to Calvert-Lewin. Get the ball. Pass it down the wing. And Richarlison will be able to say, no. No. This time last year, he couldn't say no. Some of us wondered if he could, but he couldn't. He couldn't say no. Because he was his manager. He was in this club. But he's been transferred. And now Cotty gets to do that. He gets to tell him where to play and how to run and how to pass the ball. You've been transferred. You were under a manager, under a boss that had a way of living and a value system that impressed their ways upon you. And the thing is, you can become familiar to that manager's voice. When it speaks, be greedy, be selfish, be proud, have a bit of a gossip, doesn't matter if you get drunk, you know, say sorry. Sleep around, fiddle your taxes, doesn't matter, everybody does it. That's not the voice of your manager. It's the old manager. I'm not saying everybody in the world does all of those things, but they're the kind of things. When those things come, those voices speak loudly, you say, I've been transferred. I'm not a new manager, my manager's Jesus. And he says, forgive. He says, be generous. He says, love, be kind, be patient. He says, all these kind of healthy things that if only I'll listen to, I'll I'll perform better in the match. I'll live a better life. So don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. He's good, pleasing, perfect will. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.